0: hello i'm will yeoman and welcome to another episode of the pod well traveled where i'm joined today as always by travel journalist stephen Scarfield. and stephen there's so much to talk about but before i'm going to stop you right there you haven't even started before we start talking i just want to say that later on the show we've got the amazing west australian crime writer david david wish wilson on the show, he's talking about his latest novel, *The Sawdust House*, and this is actually set in San Fran in 1856. We, we're seeing Irish-born James Yankee Sullivan being held in jail, and um, he, you know he's been uh, hanging out with the Australian criminals in that town at that time. You, you think about Peaky Blinders and, and the gangs in New York and that kind of stuff. Well, this is an historical version of that in, in San Francisco. And um, he, the reason we've got David on the show is because he did he did so much travelled and research on this, particularly in Ireland and the States and he's got some terrific stories about going into a, a, a Dublin bar late one night and just, you know, the barman having, happening to know a lot about Yankee Sullivan. So, great serendipitous stories there. But anyway, Stephen, so much happening, least, not least of which, is is this Qantas thing? Dare I utter the word? What's going on? Oh,
1: do you, yeah, <laughs> well, Yeah. dare you utter the word? It's, um, it's interesting, for, you know, for you, for me, um, sitting here because I'm getting a lot of feedback from uh, from the audience, from people trying to travel with Qantas. We I published a story last week, which I wrote about people trying to uh, people on the um, phone trying to change bookings, and one lady been On hold for eight hours. Um, You have got so all round the whole Mm. quantity pretty messy. The airport's uh, pretty messy. What's your take on it, Will? (laughs) Well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell
0: you one thing. I okay, a couple of things. First of all. You know, I don't know to what extent this could have been foreseen and I guess it's this whole, we're hearing the phrase pent-up desire to travel a lot, but for everyone just to suddenly rush out at once is obviously going to result in a bottleneck. Secondly, you've got Joyce talking about, you know, he's basically pushing the blame back on to the lack of match fitness of the travellers, which is truly bizarre from my perspective. Um, And and, and thirdly, I, I just, I don't know, I just think... I, I guess the bottom line for me is to what extent could any of this have been foreseen and to what extent did they just not care enough about the customer that's what it always comes down to caring about the customer
1: yeah look I agree with all of that It you know it's no surprise it should be no surprise to Qantas when all these people turn up at the airport because mm. they've got tickets they booked they've got tickets I mean mm. it, <laughs> this isn't a, it's not a mob crowd that's just turned up out of nowhere <laughs> I mean, it's like when you arrive at the airport and they go, oh, it's, things are a bit slow because two planes have arrived. And you think, well, two planes were always going to arrive. You know, there's, there's no surprise in any of this. It's all scheduled. So you're exactly right that the numbers turning at the airport, um, and, you know, particularly driven by, as we know, by VFR, visiting friends Indeed, indeed. This first wave. Everybody's keen to reconnect with family and so on. So it, it was always going to happen. And they sold the tickets. So it's no surprise to anyone that. You've got this volume of travellers, so I mean, I agree with you. and know, I just think it's 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 bizarre, you know, that you that you can't that you don't plan for that. It's bizarre. So I know there's a, a lot of you know it will pass through. I mean, I, I, we're also in transition, aren't we? Really? Mm. Well, you know, where we're all getting back used to moving around, and I sort of do understand that too. You know.
2: mm.
1: Is is you're obviously you're more hardline than me, than me. <laughs> what's going on what's going on but look I was
0: going to ask you though is this in any way comparable to the kinds of you know um experiences that you and Moans have had recently travelling international because you guys seem to come back with no, gl-
1: glowing not. reports no no it's not it's not um you know Moans going through Singapore for example me going through Dubai um these big international airports are just, uh, you know, we've had no trouble at all. In fact, they've been sort of, well, they felt quieter than usual, perhaps. Mm. They're still getting the same volume through. Mm. But I think um, so much work has been done over the last two years, um, for example, in Dubai, you know, reducing contacts, introducing mobile um, check-in desks and gates. So, you know they can actually add to the number of gates pretty quickly by just rolling up a trailer load of extra, um, you know, units to process things, mm-hmm. um, process you know, travelers. So I, I felt, you know, I spent a fair bit of time traveling backwards and forwards through there, and it was it felt quite than usual because everything was moving so well, um, much more kind of more smart gates. I mean, look, I have to say that. I mean, I arrived at Perth Airport the other night and all the smart gates were not functioning. So the two people at the desks were suddenly smashed by, you know, a lot of people who mm. had tried to put their passport through the smart desk. Mm. So, you know, yeah, you've, you've, just, you've just got to have, a, 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 particularly when you rely on technology like that, it's very difficult when it doesn't work, you know, because you use staff for technology. So you say, well, you know, half the people will go through contactless, um, but you've got a massive problem when that doesn't work. So yeah, look, it's it's been unpleasant to watch the airport situation, hasn't it? Well,
0: yeah, but, but as, as you say, not not um, unpredictable, and I guess we've all accepted this was going to happen in one form or another, as you say, because we're in a transition phase and we have to get used to the idea that we're grappling with new technology that doesn't always work. And B, the sheer volumes. So, what the the key message is? Be patient, I suppose.
1: (laughs) Be patient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, be patient. Leave yourself plenty of time. And. um you know, get some good music to listen to, probably.
0: <laughs> Preferably something upbeat yeah, and happy. Look, look your, your, your Motown um, mixtape would be the idea for this. <laughs>
1: Diana Ross in the morning always gives me go, There you I go, know. exactly. In a, in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> in a good way, yeah.
0: You don't want to be listening to any gang, gangster rap or, or thrash metal. That might uh, chip you over the edge. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's, uh, it's funny she mentioned Peaky Blinders because I'm just looking at a story now which we're publishing on... Um, Sunday, which mm. refers to Peaky Blinders, because um, of course that's very much set. you see this in Birmingham, mm. speaking about, just briefly about being uh, further afield, you know, this, this sort of TV hit series Peaky Blinders was setting was Birmingham after World War One, and you see lots of people dressing, dressing the part in Birmingham. Is that so? it's a real, yeah, real cold thing, yeah. So. they not just <laughs>
0: stitching razors into their caps.
1: <laughs> that would not
0: be I'm very the, cool.
1: Oh, look, I'm Mission. I've never seen it, um, but <laughs> so I'll have to take your word from all of that.
0: No, no, okay. But,
1: um, but yeah, it, it, we've got a, a very interesting story um, from our sort of you know adjunct staff member Steve McKenna mm, in this UK, mm, mm. and uh, and it, it mentions the kind of creative side. It's talking about whole stories about the creative side of Birmingham, of course. Such a melting pot, and it's 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 such a it's a kind of ignored place in some ways. But you know, the second city in in Birmingham in, in England, and uh, this fantastic melting pot of cultures, the food there. You know, when you will get the best curries in the world. Yeah, look, I don't know about yeah. you, but
0: I really like Birmingham. I've, I've really yeah, always so enjoyed right. my visits. You know, we've, we've got well, a I good, good friendly there my, too. My
1: just talking to my sister last night oh hmm. well, there you go um yeah so there you go <laughs> anyway funny you should mention piggy blindness but i i'm ashamed because as as we're speaking um I'm sitting here at my computer and I'm things are just coming in at me and this was uh, this was kind of what we're going to talk about on the show really because I'd come I thought that we should have bigger ideas to think about but there's just so much, so much going happen. on. Yes, it's incredible. As I'm sitting here, you know, I'm literally updating. In this case, the cruising column for Saturday because um, Jeffrey Thomas is away on assignment. Mm-hmm. He's researching the rail guide that he's writing mm-hmm. May, uh, May the Fourteenth. So I've taken over his cruise column for the week, and by the. 15 or every 30 minutes I'm sort of updating that with new things that are happening you know we've got um, ships being launched Pacific Explorer of course comes back into Sydney on next Monday Mm. Um, April the 18th is the day that cruising reopens in Australia and I've just had the schedule for that ship arriving coming through Sydney heads at 9 o'clock I've just this second heard there's going to be three water cannon tugs to form a guard of honour um, you know, very interesting, just new ships being launched. Celebrity Beyond's got a maiden voyage on April the 27th. So as as we speak, I've just seen some pictures for Emerald Azura, mm-hmm. which is a new ship which is due to sail on February twenty twenty three. and Incredible pictures with the, the crossbow, so that new design of ships that we're seeing coming through. There's a river cruise company called Viva, which a lot of people won't perhaps have heard of in um, the UK, and uh, they've in uh, Europe, sorry, and they've just just put a new ship in the water, which is hybrid powered. So it has 68 solar cells uh, on the sun deck, and then it runs on GTL, which is gas liquid fuel, which is salt free. Mm. Ship, Ship called Viva One. Right. And all that sort of happened this morning. So, oh, there's another. Norwegian <laughs> <laughs> Cruise Line. It's a pity you haven't got, got,
0: uh, got your notifications on so we can keep hearing this bing, bing, bing. That's right. <laughs> it's yeah, it's the
1: of right yeah, that's right. That's the, so, Pride of America sails Hawaii all year round. I I believe it's the only ship sailing Hawaii all year.
0: Right, okay.
1: And that that's – so that now is uh, – let me see that would be the 15th ship in the NCL uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines fleet, which is has uh, now returned to service mm. as the pandemic subsides. Mm. So they're coming back on, and I'm just looking now, Ponent is restarting its Kimberley sailings on April the 28th. So for all, all my intentions of, talking about other things, there's just so much news happening as the world opens up again. I say, I'm literally sharing that with the audience And it all comes in, you know it's just coming from every side of the moment of course, every hotel group uh, countries have opened up, they're contacting us and wanting to highlight the fact that they're open airlines are flying um, and putting on more and more inventory as they call it, or you know flights and destinations by the hour. So well, you're, you're, almost, a, you're
0: almost at a point where y- y- you have to decide, when do I stop writing this or that column? You know, it could be the, the cruising column that never ends otherwise.
1: Well, that's, that's exactly right. Mm. It? And I say, I'm just, the artist, as you know, it's just to keep sort of adding a little bit more detail, a little bit more detail. Yes. But, um, and we do that right up until in, in the print, you know, we do that right until we, Of typeset at noon on a Friday for Mm, Saturday. So we can be
0: as up to date as possible just for the next day's use. In fact,
1: you you had last Friday off, but I called several pages back. I had a lot of time. Oh my goodness.
0: Okay. Poor old
1: Penny Penny Thomas didn't know whether it was after or (laughs) after on on Friday afternoon because uh, I was. uh, So after we've cleared pages for Saturday. You have the sort of breaking
0: it. news and you think, well, we really have to call yeah. the page back for that. That's how significant that's right. it is. They're actually
1: mm. set, as, they're set into um, and formed into plates, mm. which go on the press and mm. um, So we replate. In other words, we call a page back, change it to something that's news and then make a new plate. So you don't make any friends the with, the,
0: with the printers over there either?
1: through that process. Oh, He's look, Mitch to... Thomas will do anything for us.
0: Um, <laughs> we've got, yeah, you, we've got you on recording saying yeah, we, that, okay. Yeah we,
1: yeah, we love this. So, <laughs> so that's just, just a bit of insight into mm. um, how hard we go even on a Friday once, once things have gone they haven't actually gone. <laughs> no, no, completely <laughs> so, um, understood. Yeah, and certainly at a time like this it's just incredibly exciting you know, just to see everything working and of course, you know, to see people back working I mean, you know the the number of people we've we've just been talking about one airline, but to see airlines back in the air and the number of people, and um, all the crews back, and you know all their tickets are up to date and they're retrained and refreshed. It's epic, really, to see yeah, that. It's, it's I actually mean, quite exhilarating, isn't it? Really, to see all this. It that. is, and you're you know, and on on a cruise ship, you can be looking at. Well, if you take that ship I mentioned, which is Celebrity Beyond. Mm. Um, they've got 1,400 crew from more than 60 countries mm, on a ship like mm. that. That's pretty standard. I mean, that's just a huge, I mean, just moving those people around. Yes. Just to get all the crew on a ship ready to go and to get the last, you know, to do crew change and get the last crew off. You can imagine the logistics of that, you know, just.
0: Oh, absolutely. On, let alone. Major, major logistical feat. Yes.
1: Let alone supplies, vitals, food, fuel mm, for, for a mm. ship like that. Um, just, just think about that one ship leaving Southampton on April twenty seventh.
0: Um, you magnify that by how many thousands of ships are going to be launched all around the world at any Exactly right.
1: It's, uh, it's just phenomenal what's happening. Mm. Yeah. Well, so so, <laughs> I'm breathless. So huh? that's what my yes. Yeah. That, well, I feel a bit breathless now. Yeah? And uh, I've just got another 37 emails since we've
0: been talking. Right. Um, well, I, I better let you get back to those. Let, let's let's change gear and listen to Dave Wish Wilson and yes. his travels. And I actually asked him, you know, what what does he missed the most since we've not been able to travel internationally and where is he looking forward to going again? So stay tuned and you'll hear those answers as well as a lot more about his new novel, The Sawdust House, which is published newly published by Fremantle Press. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us on the show again and we we'll look forward to talking to you again next week if you haven't already drowned in the number of emails that are, you know, piling
1: in. Yeah, I'm loving it. Talk to you then.
0: Okay. Okay, well, David Wilson, welcome to the pod Well Travelled.
1: Yes, well, great to be here.
0: Now, um, we often have authors on the show. I think that our last guest was uh, Portland Jones and clearly uh, travel and research through travel and also just experience is so fundamental to her craft as it clearly is to yours. You've written a number of novels over the years that are sort of quite different in, in many ways, but they all seem to depend on thorough research. And I, I want to ask you first, before we get into this book specifically, um, how, how has the whole COVID thing affected that ability to do that kind of on-the-ground research that is so important?
2: Well, it's, it's, it's um, devastated. I mean, there's one project I'm working on at the moment which was going to involve me travelling to West Africa and being a writer-in-residence on a Sea Shepherd boat, which hasn't been able to happen for obvious reasons. But I was lucky with this one that I was able to get a fair bit of the research done while I was writing... Um, while I was researching for the codes in San Francisco, mm. that would have been back in about 2015. And then in about 2017, I was lucky enough to be able to travel to New York for a few weeks and, um, and then to go down to London, um, where also much of the novel is set. So mm. I, I just uh, kind of snuck in and <laughs> I, I had started writing. Um, I was well in the throes of writing when COVID hit. So um, uh-huh. it's um it didn't affect the travel, but it definitely affected the style i think i I just given what was going on and what is going on around the world. I wanted to write a novel just about about the joys of storytelling, i suppose, mm. and particularly in times when you know life is tough i mean we've got a guy who's essentially on death row and um he's, he's got the gift of the gab anyway um he's using stories as a way of distracting himself i i suppose from from the humiliating reality of what is happening to him so it's about it's supposed to be yeah about the joys of storytelling and
0: character. Yeah that certainly comes across and I know you you referenced Scheherazade there and there is that element too that they continue to, to tell stories and at one point he says perhaps that's the only reason that he's being kept alive so that that's quite a nice touch as well.
2: Yeah that's right it is um yeah so the story's drawn out in a conversation with a young journalist, mm. um, and I think they see something of each other in one another, um, particularly if things had been different. You know, the journalist is quite an introverted, button-down character, a little bit more like me, I suppose, and he sees in Yankee Sullivan's wild flound buoyance and uh, gift of the gab something that he he admires or feels he's lacking, and likewise Yankee sees in him that kind of quiet... Um, Thoughtful reflectiveness um, that he yeah he he I suppose admires and feels like he lacks. So the story is drawn out of both, but yeah, it's it's an unusual book because it it it, there are sharp switches from past to present, from internal monologue to dialogue, um, and it's structured so that unusual in a novel that there's lots of. Uh, white space, as the poets call it, um, used to slow, you know, to, 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 to really um, deliberately control the pace, but also to, I suppose, suggest something about his, uh, Yankee Sullivan's mental state as he um, slowly um, declines from lack of food and lack of sleep and stress and distress um, so it was. It was it definitely, it was an
0: interesting novel to write. Mm. Yeah, and as you say, the, the the inability to travel affecting the style. I guess that comes across in the in the the intimacy of voice as well, and, and the sense of claustrophobia and, and restriction. I, I guess you could go a little bit too far with those <laughs> those metaphors and analogies, but but it certainly feels that way. And I just wanted to go back to your author's note here because it sets the scene so beautifully in terms of your actually ha- being able to be right there. And you you write it was later at night in a manhattan sports bar where i'd stopped off for a pint of guinness and a shot of red breast whiskey like every day while there i'd walked vast distances between the libraries universities and locations i hope to use a setting for this novel and i was in need of a drink and some conversation now that's beautiful because that kind of for me sums up the strengths of on the ground research because it's a it's even the walking between those places your, your thinking, you know, walking itself is so fundamental to authors and poets as it has been for centuries, isn't it?
2: Yeah, no, it's 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 something I tell my students a lot as well. Um, even if there's no great kind of research breakthroughs going on, just being there in that place is it's so important. I mean, I wrote my first novel, um, The Summons, you know, way back in about I mean, it was published in two thousand and six, but I had written a Quite a bit of it in bars in late night Berlin. Um, I was staying in the area I was writing about. It used to, it, it was a part of Berlin pre Second World War that had a particular kind of character. Mm. And of course, that has changed. It was you know nearly a century later, and yet, or well, seventy or eighty years later, and yet um, a lot of the small bars, in particular, still had that kind of sense of wild multiculturalism, and uh, and it was just—it was a very working class area. Just interesting to sit in a you know in a, in a little corner in a in a bar and just watch and listen and um, having done the, the leg work during the day like you say and done the reading um, before I went there um, and in the in the archives and libraries it all it all kind of melds together but obvious things like climate and the um, feel the feel of the streets and all of that kind of thing it's just it's absolutely for me anyway. Um, it's possible to imagine things that you've never experienced. Of course, that's part of the writer's craft. Mm. But it's when you're writing about place in particular, you just can't beat having your feet on the ground. And yeah, New York was no no different. It's a very storied city, of course, almost oversaturated, I guess. <laughs> um, and so trying to find, um, you know, I'm writing about it in a very particular point in time, from the 1840s to the, to the 18, early 1850s. Um, and there was a fair bit of written. You know, there were newspapers and there's um, not a great deal of historical research, but um, there was enough, particularly in the newspapers. And speaking to local historians, is something mm. I would like to do as well. Mm. You can get a really good sense for the, particularly the part, the area where Yankee Sullivan lived, um, Five Points. And um, this was a slum area that uh, Dickens said was, you know, made Whitechapel look like a... Uh, a Kind of a unicorn's picture. It was was, was a really tough tough place to live, and um, just the way everything worked, the economy, the the crime, um, and the chaotic nature of the early American democracy is particularly fascinating. So, yeah, so I'd walk around all day in New York, and then at night, I mean, I do love bars. You know, often you strike up conversations with people, and they go nowhere. But um, I've also, you know, been lucky enough to have met a lot of really interesting people, and that that was a, quite a nice moment because I met a bartender who, uh, intern, in turn, in fact knew a lot about um, Yankee Sullivan in a way that academics and former historians weren't able to, because he was it just turned out he was a boxing fan. Mm-hmm and we we had a great old conversation and then he introduced me to a couple of other people and that's that's the way the kind of research i do i like it to happen um very kind of organically um yeah it was good
0: yeah yeah i I guess it's that sort of serendipity isn't it that doesn't happen if you've got a more focused sort of research plan i I guess well one analogy would be just surfing the web i guess and you know seeing what comes up but that's very time consuming (laughs)
2: Yeah, you get uh, the internet is uh, is again it's it's a fantastic uh, thing and I I use it a lot because mm. um, photographs, uh, you know, papers written by um, unknown people, um, which have probably only read by been read by ten people, and yet if you're nerdy enough like I am, you know, and I really want to know what a particular street looked like or felt like, um, or that. Where the whiskey was made that was served in the in the bars, um, you know, all these kind of really weird details. The internet is a, is an absolute trope because, while feet on the ground research is hugely important for getting a sense of place and for so those serendipitous um, meetings you have, um, it would take lifetimes to really, to, or you'd have to live in that particular place mm. so You get a really good idea of how you know the, the minutiae of things work and what did the water taste like, and so on. And all. You can find a lot of that stuff on
0: the internet. Too. Mm. No, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, what interests me too is that if you look at a, a lifetime's worth of travelling for various reasons, whether it's for work or for research, like you said before, imagination plays such an important part, but you're able to also translate those real experiences into something else, aren't you? You're able to transform them into something that suits your purposes. Um, which again lends it in authenticity. You might have not have been a, a person living in the nineteenth century, but you could get a pretty good sense of what it felt like by visiting some of these sort of areas and, and you know essentially breathing the same air and seeing some of the buildings and, and other sites that they saw.
2: Yeah, that's that, that's absolutely right, and but also like you say, lived experience. So I mean, one of the things which I was consciously, I mean, a lot of this writing is done in. Intuitively, but one of the things I was consciously aware of as I was writing it was um, my desire to kind of honor some of the people um, I met when I was a young fellow around Yankee Sullivan's age. Mm. Um, and I ended up living in this um, you know, a huge slum in Nairobi, Kenya. And lots of my friends were refugees from um, Sudan, from Ethiopia, from Somalia. And just like in the Yankee-Sullivan's world, um, you know, the Five Ports area, uh, there was no unemployment benefits, There was no stable employment. And so these these men and women who were all good friends of mine, everyone had a hustle, you know, including me. <laughs> and often that was great because it put food on the table, but it was very hard to know. You didn't know where your next meal was coming from. And sometimes, the, you know, my friends would get arrested and because they weren't citizens, and they would end up in jail for months and months and months until they could bribe their way out. And just that, that, that incredible resilience. I mean, um, you, you certainly don't want to remain it because these, these, these friends of mine had no choice in the matter at all. It was mm. literally about survival. Mm. Um, but they would come out of prison and just have to start doing the same thing again. So when I was writing about the people in Nicky Sullivan's time and in that, that area in New York, which was very much like that at the time, was very poor, very desperate, very violent. Um, corrupt police, um, corrupt government. Um, I was, I was, I, I had my, my old family in the forefront of my mind because I just, I've always admired that, mm. that toughness, that spirit. And again, yeah, well, that was a travel experience from, from East Africa, which informed my view of, uh, things when I was in my own teens, um, but, but found its way into, uh, into the writing of a book done, you know, in my own lifetime. So you, Thirty
1: years after,
0: thirty-five years later. Mm, mm, mm. It, it, it's always interested me that people often talk about writing as solitary craft, but I, I kind of think it's probably the opposite. It's a very social thing, isn't it? Or, 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 or to be fair, it's probably both, isn't it? <laughs> you, well, I mean, has that been your experience? Yeah, it's
2: definitely, it's definitely both. I mean, the, the actual writing of it is solitary, and mm. that's you know that's the way I like it. Um, it's a dream. It's a dream you're having inside your own head, which you can come back to day after day after day. Um, but yeah, a lot of the experiences and a lot of the research, uh, a lot of the experiences form the novels. Um, the fascinations, the uh, obsessions, uh, sometimes conscious, sometimes not, um, and a lot of the research it, it, it is very social, and uh, that's the part. That I really enjoy as well, as much as the actual uh, the actual writing of it. I mean, um, I was lucky enough to, I was to grow up in a family of storytellers, and um, and around bars. You know, I worked myself as a bartender for you know very very long time in in many different countries, and so I like that whole whole kind of culture. So yeah, when I am in, in a particular place, or when I want to chat with friends. Um, some of the serendipitous things that found their way into this novel happen in bars around, uh, in conversations with mm. people. You know, an Irishman might say, "Well, did you know this about that town?" Or uh, someone else might say, "Yeah, oh, did you know this a uh, little bit about history?" So some of the best conversations happen in bars for me, and um, and uh, and and sometimes you know they find their way they find their way into the novel. It is good. I don't know if you'd formally call it research, but of course it it ends up being
0: with it. Mm, oh, absolutely. It's all, it's all grist for the mill. Uh, look, look, Dave, before we finish up, I wanted to ask you, you know, just uh, travel in general. Wh- what do you, what have you missed and and where do you think you'll be heading to next?
2: Yeah, well, I've, I've I have been lucky enough to be able to travel, um, my, my early parents were in Tasmania, so mm. I've been, and Tasmania's been in a similar kind of COVID state as Western Australia, so I have been lucky enough to be able Able to travel interstate at the very least. Mm, mm. Um, my wife's from New Zealand, so we've been missing going there. Um, and this this kind of uh, sortie to West Africa to to write a, um, a book on marine piracy may yet happen. But mm. I've been um, I've been dreaming of returning to uh, visit some friends of mine in Britain maybe drive up the west coast of Scotland. We've got some ancestors from, have a look there. I mean, I like whiskey, so I on a bit of a whisky tour, catch up with friends. But, uh, you know, there are so many places in the world I've, I've yet to see and would like, would like to see. So um, We're also thinking about going um, to Japan where we lived for a few years, mm. and maybe taking our kids as well so they can experience a bit of what is a very remarkable culture and place to, uh, it certainly is. Place to mm. visit too.
0: So. Mm. Fantastic. Well, look, Dave, thanks so much for being on the pod well-traveled. Now, just to remind listeners, The Sawdust House by David Wish Wilson is published by Fremantle Press and, as they say, available in all good bookshops and online, of course. Dave, thanks again. You enjoy the rest of your day and I look forward to talking to you soon.
2: Cheers, Rob.